Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leadership Loft. Up next, we have the FN debate. I've been promised that the F is for fintech, so let's hope there's not too bad language. Please welcome to the stage your hosts for the next hour, Sarah Kaczynski, Simon Taylor, and Sam Moore. Sam Mall. Um, welcome to the effing debate, as they said. And yes, it doesn't stand for fintech. I don't care what they said. I don't know how we got that by Money 2020. Um, this is live from the Fintech Insider at Money 2020 here in Vegas. This afternoon, we'll be asking, how do you design the digital bank of the future? Mm. So my name is Sarah Kashansky. I'm going to be trying to moderate this and ensuring there are no actual physical fights, but I can't promise that. So I'll actually be the captain for Team America, for Team USA. And uh, what I would actually ask when you ask questions from the audience, please refer me to me as Cap. I would very much appreciate that. It, it's like you think you're Captain America, but you've too much bald spot. Um, by the way, I'm Simon Taylor, and as you can tell, I'm British. Um, and I'm going to be the captain for the rest of the world. So it's kind of got a bit of a Ryder Cup format. Team USA versus Team Rest of the World. We're going to have one heck of an effing debate. And this is going to be a... Well, it's going to be a real world series. Like a, a world series with the rest of the world involved. It's going to be fun. All right. Let's get your teammates on the stage, shall we? All right, so I'm going to introduce the team in the red corner, or the red, white, and blue corner, as it actually should have been. So first, we have Ron Shevlin. Ron is the Director of Research for Cornerstone Advisors. Please clap for Ron, because no one ever claps for Ron at Ooh. any event he goes for. We have Jill Castilla. Jill's the President, CEO, and Vice Chairman of the Citizens Bank of Edmond in lovely Oklahoma. Jill is very much used to applause because people do like Jill. Sorry, Ron. And then we have Dan Kimmerling, who's the co-founder and general partner of Dentian's Capital. Hello, Dan. All right, so that's Team USA, but now for the rest of the world, my goodness, do we have a team for you. First up is Melissa Guzzi, who is the founder and managing partner at Arbor Ventures. Please join the stage. And next, oh my goodness, what a superstar we have joining us. We have Mr. Derek White. And Derek, I'm, my phone's died on me. You are Global Head of Customer Solutions at BBVA. Also, a bit of a legend. Derek White, everybody. And last but by no means least, we have the closer for Team Rest of the World. We have Megan Kaywood, who is Chief Platform Officer at Starling. Megan Kaywood, come to the stage. My goodness, what a team. So let me walk you through how this debate is going to work. So we have four rounds for this. Um, we're going to cover different areas of banking for each round. Each team will have one lead debater, and they'll have 90 seconds to make their opening pitch. The other side will give their 90 seconds. And then we're going to open up the floor for about five and a half, six minutes. Yeah. And then at the end of each round, we'll go in and decide who actually had won that round. 
So my job is to keep everybody to time, and um, I have a timer in front of me, and if they go over time, I will yell really loudly at them. So that's definitely, it's not, we're not going to drag anything on. Um, at the end, the winner will be um, decided by, by you guys. I'm going to ask for the audience participation, but only insofar as clapping and cheering, there is no actual uh, requirement to speak or ask questions. And the winner will get this delightful trophy at the end. I, I don't know if anybody can see this, but it, it's, it's really, we've gone all out. And please remember, we're in the USA, so if we don't win, what the hell is wrong with you? I mean, it would only be fair. You want to win this trophy, so if you're from the rest of the world or you buy the arguments from the rest of the world, then you should really be cheering for the rest of the world. I mean, there's a lot more countries out there. You guys are magnanimous. Cheer for the rest of the world. I'm loving this international audience. It's not a good sign. (laughs) All right. Let's get on with the show. So, Sam, Simon, please prepare your, your opening remarks. Your topic is building a bank. When, where, and how to build the digital bank of the future. Sam, you're up first. You have 90 seconds and 90 seconds only to make your opening argument. Your time starts now. Oh, thank God. I thought I was going to have to do math on that clock. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and make Simon's argument for him. He's going to talk about Monzo. He's going to talk about Starling. Sorry, Megan. Monzo's lovely. Starling's lovely. He's going to talk about Revolut and all those other banks. One thing note about all those great challenger banks are all coming to the U.S. because the U.S. is awesome. Um, Think about what we have here when it comes to actual technology. We have some of the best hubs in the world. When you look at Silicon Valley, you look at New York, you look at Atlanta, you look at Chicago, you look at Portland, take your pick. We have the biggest and the best. Our banking system has been recognized by the world as the number one in the world. World Economic Report just came out, said the U.S. is the most competitive market in the world. One of those reasons, our banking system, which everybody on this side is going to trash, and I would say we have the strongest globally. As far as Monzo, Starling, and their numbers that they have, yeah, that's all real nice. Um, I would say Goldman and Marcus as a digital bank has done rather well. I believe they have over 2 million customers launched in the UK, by the way, so a reverse invasion. And if I recall, they have, what, 50,000 accounts to open up in two weeks, so they're doing okay. Chime, who's here, will be interviewing shortly, has 1.7 million accounts, 150,000 accounts in that digitally-only bank opening every month. So, can you build a digital bank here? Yeah, we're already doing it. The question is, when do we dial it up to 11? Nice. 80 seconds. All right. Time's up. Ron, well clap for well me. Uh, uh, there was a real good golf clap there. I'm appreciating that applause, but I think we can do better. All right. So if we're going to build a bank... steady. Don't try and get ahead of me. Ready, steady, go. So Sam named some places, and when you want to know where does it best, naming places is a good start, but naming companies really does help. So if you want to build a bank, typically in the US, you do it on Bancor, right? And that's not building a bank, that's helping somebody else's bank. If you're really going to disrupt, you want to go digital all the way to the core. You've got to start at the service, and you've got to really have modern microservices and a modern architecture. And by the way, we got a bank here that's done it. You might have heard of Starling. Here's a real example of somebody that's got real customers. Shout out to them. But it's not just big banks that can build digital banks. BBVA have been doing this here, there, and everywhere. So shout out for BBVA as well. So Sam, here's the thing. My team's been there and done it. 
where's the best place to do it where you've got heroes, where you can learn, where you can idolize people that have actually achieved it. And the reason they can achieve it, I believe, comes right down to the fact that they've got the entrepreneurs. Yes, we've got the entrepreneur ecosystem. Yes, the USA is great at it. But the entrepreneur ecosystem in Europe is thriving. The entrepreneur ecosystem in Asia is incredible. Um, shall we just talk about Ant Financial for a second and Alipay? Like if, if you talk about building a bank, Ant Financial is the example. Rest of the world has some amazing people we can role model, amazing people we can learn from, and we absolutely should. That's my opening argument. Thank you. Done. Okay. So as of now, it's open season. You have six minutes. Anybody can contribute, and that includes, includes you lot. Please yell loudly if you'd like to contribute. Ready, steady, go. Okay, first counter argument to that. Yes, Starling. Yes, BBA. That's wonderful. Hey, Derek, where'd you grow up? I believe it was Utah. Megan, where are you from? Oklahoma. And Melissa, you grew up in... We're citizens of the world, Sam. Sam, citizens of the world. That's about where the opportunity is now. I'm going to leave the stage now. That's a mic drop. No, I no, no, wait a second. No, I not, when you're talking the about the numbers in the U.S., you're talking about the size of a village when it comes to Ant Financial and WeChat Pay. So we have one billion customers in Asia today that are ready on fully digital banks. Do you really believe, though, that you can take that model in China and launch it here? I believe you can take that model and launch it anywhere in the world, and they will prove that true. Yeah. And I just want to build on that. So I am an American. I was working in San Francisco in fintech, first at Intuit, working on global product development there, and then at Zero. And the reason why I moved to the UK is because when we were developing and expanding globally, it was so slow through the US. It's fragmented state by state. There's different regulation. There's different tax laws. It's so slow. But if you go to the UK, you can easily start up, scale up, get venture capital, and then migrate through Europe and then back into the US. And so to be fair, the reason why I'm an American in the UK is because it's so good from a regulatory perspective to starting fintech, but to actually starting a bank. So like Simon said, you can't build a bank here in the US. They've only issued three banking licenses since 2008. And that's when some of the most important pieces of technology have come to market. And if Simon says it, you have to do it. Look, the reason exactly. why Al an Alipay can get to a billion customers is because there was no financial services infrastructure to begin with. We've got the established financial system. We've got people who have been using uh, payment mechanisms for, and you know, so what if it's mobile? We'll get there with mobile. That's not a big deal. The idea is that, we, and we have the money, so we have an established financial services infrastructure. Do you feel like it's reaching a bit? Does it oh, feel like oh, no, reach? No. Not having not having financial infrastructure, I think that China owns most of the debt in the United States. <laughs> I'm an American too, but really. Oh. And let's let's put it this way. I mean, when it comes to financial infrastructure, sure, we'll get there in mobile in the US, but look at where Asia and not only China is today from a mobile perspective. I can leave my house, I can invest in funds, I can pay for things. We are in cashless societies already in Asia. Why is the US so far? Far behind. So we're far behind on what? You want to start a digital bank here in the U.S., you've got an established set of financial institutions who actually now want to help you do that to help you scale. So getting to a billion customers is, is, is great for Alipay. If you're in the U.S. to do that, you're going to leverage the existing financial infrastructure, yeah. get there a whole lot quicker. Including BBVA in the U.S. who will help you build a digital bank here. 
Absolutely. We're, we're very proud to have a very sizable bank here in the United States and very pleased with that. But today I'm taking the argument of the rest of the world and why the rest of the world is dominating the United States. So Dan, while you've, built, you've been successful at building some API-based platforms here in the United States, the API platforms in the U.S. are notably, and I think you might agree, notably behind those platforms outside of the borders of the U.S., just to take your specific business example. Yeah, and name one digital bank that has been built from scratch and got a banking license and launched in the U.S. There are none. They're but all built on Borrow would be the one. But no, they don't have Borrow. a full banking license. They've applied, but they don't have it. They've been granted approval. So you got zero. You got nothing. You got nada. So zero. Yet so, still has the largest but, bank but does it have to be, in the world. I mean, does it have to be digital only? Does a bank, is, there's many banks that are launching digitally that are have a physical presence, that have the ability to have the trust of their customer right there, the accountability right there. They're launching digitally and doing outstanding jobs. Yeah, I would say if you look at the revenue and, the, and how Bank of America, how Chase, how Wells, how Goldman has been doing, I don't think they're hurting. I don't think the U.S., market when it comes to banking is hurting whatsoever for the fact that we're not using the mobile devices. And what will drive this is the consumer anyways. All right, the you have consumer two adoption. Yeah. So two how many people in the audience want to, to have a digital bank and use one? So okay, the there we go. <laughs> how many of you are in banking or in this industry? So let's get the actual workers not that are many. working that actually bank, the actual people outside of y'all and ask this them. Yes, sir. It seems like that wait, they wait, just wait. dealt with that. That's this fine. This guy right That's here. Good. We're good. We're good. You know, what, what I think was interesting about that, like, I feel like I need to take sides now right. for Team America. Yeah. All right, let's this go. This guy's saying something about BBVA. I think we should give him the opportunity to share it with Poppy, everybody. Poppy, can we get a mic to this gentleman? I have no idea if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but he but should you, have a sir, platform. Let's hope good. You, sir, have, you have 60 seconds, and then I will turn the mic off, so go. I don't need 60. I'm a customer of BBVA in Spain, BBVA in the UK. I'm a customer of Starling Bank, Woo. both banks. Fantastic service, superb app. Sit down, please. Thank Great you Great service. You're yeah, fantastic. Take that. Yeah. I think that's... Enough said. Yeah. That, that's, that's I'm a customer do. of USAA in the U.S. They have my mortgage. They have my car payment. They have my checking account. They have my credit card and my savings. I've never walked into a branch in my life. Service is freaking outstanding. Their NPS score is 70 plus. Uh, and, so and they have 12 and a half million customers. And, and so Valley Bank and First Republic so, so both have extremely high NPS scores as well. What it strikes me is, is there's a giant opportunity for somebody to do this right in the USA right now. So it seems like there are role models in other parts of the world. And actually, in the USA, it's not being done. But it might even come from the community banks, the people that have that trust and could do something Thank different. Thank you for yeah. arguing for us, Simon. That's perfect. Do you know, like, I felt like I needed to help you guys. Uh, uh, you that, that was just a pity help. No, so I think, so yeah, JP Morgan, City, they're all doing well, but just because they're doing well, it's because of a lack of options. They don't have a digital bank to switch to even if they want. Lack of options? There's over 5,000 banks. All right, no, stop, that's it. Okay, you guys, you need to decide who won that round. So I wouldn't do this by cheering, it's very scientific. So who thinks that Team USA, these guys to my right, won? All people. (laughs) And Team ROW? done that's team row okay melissa ron are you ready so your topic is data so which region has the best setup for data usage and security regulation privacy analytics all that good stuff in relation to digital banking asia or the u.s it, well obviously <laughs> asia. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you have to wait for me to press go come on guys all right melissa start 
Well, obviously, Asia. I mean, we actually use data, <laughs> and we use and we use it to make a customer's life a lot better. So, I mean, you know, whether it's our online profile or what we're doing, I mean, today you can onboard on Alipay or GoJack or Grab, and you can actually pay for a taxi with it. You can invest in money markets. I mean, we know how to use data, and that's partially because we didn't have any credit bureaus. There's only two credit bureaus in Asia, one being Japan and Australia. So we had no choice but to actually use technology, and we do that very well. So when it comes to the use of data and making the consumer's life easier, there's no doubt that Asia wins that, hands down. Okay, fine, done. In which case, Ron, you have 90 seconds starting now. Thank you very much. First of all, let me just say, if you vote for the rest of the world and vote for these three Americans, they will be convicted of treason. So <laughs> let me just put that right out there. Number two, here's the arguments for data. What other country in the world has a credit bureau that lets hackers in and expose information on 150 million Americans? Okay. There is information on 300 million Americans on the dark web for $10 a pop. Nice and easy on that one. And number three, no GDPR. That's it. That's all we need. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Short and sweet. I like it. All right. GDPR, I'm not sure, extends the United we States as well. Six minutes starting now. Go. What I think is really interesting is that data is such a strategic battleground. And what I found interesting about the Asia example is when you go back to first principles, when you don't look at legacy as the thing that holds you back, but the thing that can leave your legacy, the thing that can move you into the future, then things get really, really interesting. And again, Asia is a role model. They, they started again and they said the business process doesn't have to be what it was before. The process doesn't have to rely on the same people and the same processes. We can reimagine this. We can start again. And I think there's something exciting and empowering about rethinking things. We should learn from that and we should learn from the rest of the world in doing that. One thing I'd like to add to build on that, so I've been speaking at a bunch of conferences all over the world this year, and something I found fascinating is that everyone talks about how if you want to look at data and platforms, look to the east and not actually to the west. Because even if you look at companies like WeChat and how they're integrating with partners, it's so much more impressive and it's so much more advanced. But even if you look at the U UK and EU, there's been a fundamental shift around data. From a regulatory perspective, they said the banks don't own customers' data. Customers own their own data, and they have the right to share that. That increases competition, it increases innovation, it gives customers choice of products, and it completely changes the game and business model for banking. So the question I would have then is, is are the, as the typical customer, not in banking all that, well aware of the challenger banks? The answer is no, and you know the answer is no because you've no, seen the survey. No, I mean, like when you look at it, so like let's say Barclays Retail has like what six million customers in a year. Well, two years, Monzo had a million within the first like year. Starling had three hundred thousand. So when you look at the pace of change, like that's a hundred twenty-five year old institution. So they're great and they have a lot of customers, but we're less than two years old and we're being very competitive. So even though we don't have dominance in the market yet, it's because we're less than eighteen months old. Well, Chime's only three years old and they've grown at one hundred fifty thousand accounts a year or a month. They'll the top over 2 million account holders this year. That's what you will. So, so China's a prepaid card, though, basically. They're built on top of Bancorp. They're not actually building that back in technology and don't have the banking license. So it's really cool. It's just not the Wrong same. Let me answer here because on top of that, those numbers, um, Sam, I actually just conducted a consumer survey in the U.S. and actually found that the greatest interest uh, for fintech startups is not the 20-something crowd. 
it's actually the 30-something and Gen Xers in the 40 to 55 range. So the growth potential for fintech startup, a digital bank in the U.S., is not the young consumers worried about whether or not they have enough money to spend on beer on a Friday night. It's actually the more established consumer. So the growth potential for a digital bank in the U.S. is huge because of the interest among the older millennials. Data. So three, data, three, data, three, three words: data, 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 data. Three words. Those three were regions. data points. Three by words. Way. That's three what it's regions. called. Data points. Data, data in the United States sits captive in reservoirs. Data in the U.S. reservoirs. Data in Europe is ownership. Data in Asia is tied to interactions and is real. It is unleashed and it is connected to where data is actually actually actionable. Reservoirs, ownership, interactions. Whoa. Any I, I, anybody else? Follow that. In By the way, that's R O. I've heard of data lakes, data. but I've never heard of a data. In, reservoir. in general, I would say that I think financial institutions around the world have lost their data advantage. You know, especially in comparison to the internet platforms. And in some ways, I think the U.S. were fighting back, or financial institutions are fighting back against the loss of data advantage. Whereas I think in other countries. Uh, they're giving away whatever limited advantage they may still have had. But, but I think that's the point, right? That the U.S., they're fighting back on a trend that's inevitable. I mean, the thing about in Asia, people see it as, you know, tech fin, not fintech, and, and they're embracing it. So, I mean, CBA is an established bank, one of the best digital platforms. So the U.S. should stop fighting a trend that's inevitable when it comes to data and just actually embrace it. And the, and the they world are. is moving they on. Are. OFX, we've got the new consortium or whatever collaboration, you know, you know, the one that was just announced. I forget the acronym. But there, so we are doing that, and, and it's going to be in place soon or something. Ever so slowly. <laughs> Wouldn't it be cool if we could reimagine consumers' relationships with data and do proper marketplaces around the world like you see in Asia? Again, role modeling what it could be. And yes, I do want to see more ownership in that process. I think that's the ideal. But if you could do that, imagine what that could mean for consumers. So, Dan, to your point, the Europeans are coming to help the Americans because BBVA has opened up an open marketplace here where we've opened up our APIs in our core U.S., one of the three real-time banking platforms in the United States to help the Americans. So just the so Europeans... And we, we appreciate you. you so what you're saying is you came to the U.S. to start your... And build your because digital we're already well-established so outside of the, the United States and saw the need for the, the, the colonies needed a little bit of help. Because there wasn't enough market potential in Europe, couldn't make any money doing it over there, so you had to come here to make some money. Just like Goldman came to the UK and opened 50,000 accounts. <laughs> Goes both accounts ways. with how much money? Yeah. Six, seven dollars. What do you call them over there? Euros. Yeah. What is that like? But like, let's just be real. It's strategic real money? to expand globally. It's strategic for Goldman to come to the UK and for us to go to the US. It just makes sense. Again, the size of a street corner. <laughs> it's not even that relevant when you look at the number of accounts that are in Asia today on digital platforms. I'm having a great time. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> Anything? Any more for any more? All right, that's it. Six minutes. Okay. Audience, help me out here. Who won this debate? Was it Team USA to my right? <laughs> Silence. Uh, uh, team ROW? All right. That was pretty conclusive.
can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves? Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. So uh, next round is regulation. So Megan, please stand up. Uh, you are going to debate where has the best regulatory setup for setting up a new bank. You have 90 seconds. Go. All right. So in order to set up a new bank, you need four things. You need the ability to get a banking license. You need tech, you need data, and you need talent. Four pieces of regulation that you really need that are very prominent and available in the UK and EU, but not in the US. So banking license. So before the financial crisis in 2008, the US was actually pretty good at it, giving about, like, what, 100 a year? Whereas on the other hand, the UK didn't really release any. They've gone different directions. So since 2008, what you've seen is that the US has given out about three. On the other hand, the UK has created something called Option B, which reduced the capital requirements, enabling other new technology, innovative companies to get a banking license. This is critical because it's been since 2008 that the most transformative pieces of legislation have come to market, or not uh, of innovation, sorry. So the iPhone launch, and then Uber, and WhatsApp, and Airbnb. So the gap between what banks are offering and what consumers expect in terms of user experience is massive, and it's driven by technology. So enabling new technology companies to start, get a full banking license, to actually compete with the banks is really important. That's what enables you to insure customer funds, to be able to uh, take in deposits and lend it out, make money on that net interest margin, and to actually be able to compete. It's how you can actually plug into payment schemes. So the fundamentals of being a bank are possible in the UK, but not in the US. Two, on technology. So whenever you start a digital bank, you not only need to have new tech and mobile only, you also have to have cloud hosting. Shush! So only since November 2015 can you have cloud hosting and financial service, and that's made available Stop in the UK. Stopping. Reduces the cost base. Time! Ah, and then Good. Jaden Tom. No, 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 that's it, time. <laughs> All right, please sit down, Megan. Dan, you're up. So, uh, please stand up, Dan. Yes. Uh -huh. Please stand up. All right, ready, steady, go. So I actually think this is an entirely backwards way of looking at the problem. In the U.S., the fact you don't need a banking license in order to build and launch digital banking products is exactly what you would want because you want to actually validate the business model and then move to your own license rather than the converse. So I'm not really, I'm not really sure why the advantage of option B or glide slope or, or whatever they have in the UK is an advantage. I also think the real advantage in the US is around intellectual property and the ability to have labor mobility. In other countries, especially the UK, need to have six, 12, 18 month 
garden leaves makes it extremely hard. Whereas in San Francisco, I can just poach software engineers like it's going out of style. I mean, you can create a really nice well, app uh, and be no. a prepaid card, but that doesn't mean you're disrupting banking. Oh, sorry. Keep going. <laughs> you've, you've got 30 seconds left. Keep going. No, no, no. Don't let I, it butt I in. Think sorry, that sorry. Disrupting <laughs> banking is about building a product that actual users want. It's not about actually getting licensed. And you can be licensed or unlicensed in order to do that. And, and what's really nice about the U.S. is we actually have a constellation of capabilities, including from BBVA, in order to build these brands and actually validate product market fit long before we have to go through the arduous process of getting licensed. Done. All right. So you have six minutes to debate where has the best regulatory environment in the world. Ready, steady, go. So let's just start with um, there's a place in the world in which sandboxes are allowed and then there's a part of the world where sandboxes are kind of frowned on. Uh, does anybody want to add on this one? Do we know what I'm talking about here? Or do you guys want to take that one on? Yeah, I'll take oh, yeah. that. So, yeah, I mean, we're, when, when you look at Europe, for example, right? So you can take the UK, all right? So you've got your sandbox and you, you can play there, right? So we've talked about this in our own show that Arizona has now taken the step to do this. And at a state-by-state -state level. Doug Ducey, shout out. Doug Ducey, governor, shout out for you, baby. But it is a state-by-state approach to this besides the national what the OOC is setting up so in the UK you have that that's great that's basically California and Texas but only half of Texas population wise and I still have 48 states to go so you're talking sheer size here you're talking 350 million I'm not even looking at you Asia put your damn mic down now leave that alone no, no, no. who invited Asia for God's sake you can speak I, I just think that these sandboxes are a bit of a canard unless you have real capabilities being able to deploy things using test data and test environments is at best the half step. So that's not how the sandbox works. The sandbox lets you go live, and it gives you a hold harmless effectively, that you can go live with a limited amount of customers, and you get direct help from the regulators. So as a startup, you don't need to go hire expensive consultants. You can actually deal directly one-on-one -on -one with the experts themselves who are going to be doing the enforcement, and you can learn things in a direct conversation without having to hire expensive lawyers from Twitter who are trying to hawk their own well, book. And, and, and this, is, this is what Project Catalyst is designed to do at the CFPB. Also, uh, Nick Cook is in the room, or was in the room at one point. The UK sandbox is far from uh, a panacea in the way you describe it. I think it's a pretty much a panacea. I think that some great companies have gone through that. It's kind of awesome. And also, Project Innovate and the rest of Europe has now started to copy the model. You've seen Singapore has copied the model. You've well, seen Australia Kong, has copied the model. Japan. Yeah. We can keep going, but we have lots of sandboxes because the governments actually recognize that the only way they're going to continue to be competitive is with innovation, and they'd rather be closer to innovation than to ignore innovation, and they'd rather help innovative companies get started and have that direct relationship. We, we see states, though, throughout the U.S. are now focusing on innovation and financial services, and the, 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 um, the competition that we have with regulators in the U.S. is so unique to us that it creates those pockets of opportunities that you won't find anywhere else in the world with still having the same safety to ensure that you'll have the longevity and stability and trust that you come to expect from the American financial institution. There's something to be said for policy as a strategic advantage for a state or nation state, right? People Underwrite, uh, underestimate how important it is to be able to go do your business and have access to the regulator and talk to them. When you're dealing with people's money, you're dealing with their lives. Yeah, regulators are accessible, life, though. They're, they're, they'll meet with you and talk with you. You and state banking departments will sit down with you, you and, and, and you, brainstorm. You go, you go to the conference of state banking supervisors, and they are very accessible. 
Nick Cook, where are you? Shout out to the FCA. Nick oh, Cook is right there. Oh, yeah. Right there. That's how accessible our regulator is. <laughs> yeah. At, at the Conference I, of I Banking Nerds. Yes. I, I can text yeah. right now. Yeah. Thank you for real. coming so, to the U.S., Nick. It's good to yeah. see you. Hope your flight was fine. Enjoy Vegas, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for spending your money here. Let's be real, though. So the open banking and PSD2 legislation is critically important for enabling digital disruption in banking and financial services. It completely changes the paradigm of how customer data is owned and shared. It mandates that the banks open up their APIs and give customers choice. The CMA did this year-long analysis and found that banks were incentivized to improve either price or product experience. Open APIs as a regulatory perspective enables customers to not only have this transparency and choice over their options to own their data and for the banks to enable them to share that securely. Banks don't want to do that because they upsell all of the higher profit financial products. So losing their customers to all of these new fintechs isn't very appealing. So it's really important to have that regulation to stimulate because you don't see it happening in the U.S. without it. Yeah, you and had clearly, that in the U.K. I'm so when PSD2 rolled out, how many of the banks are ready of the top nine? Yeah, how many asked for a delay? Just to answer the question. How many asked for a delay? Six. It's live today. Yeah, I know. Six it's out of nine. At least they're doing it. But you see... Doing it? They were dragged by yeah, their heels. But, but yeah, but that's why it's important, because they're dragged to do it, but it's critically important. That's why you need regulation, because no one's going to do it in the U.S. Yeah. So, the so ones it's different from a legal standpoint from the regulatory piece. And, but what's happened with open banking in Europe has been positive impact in the U.S. Where now we're seeing organically that banks are starting to more collaborate, share systems to make it where there's ease of the payment system and other activities. And, and that's the point. The U.S. is a follower. That's that's right. The well, US but we don't need regulators to tell us to do it. Apple right. That's right. Make, Megan makes the point that traditional banks are in the business of upselling, cross-selling. That's no different than digital banks because they have to cross-subsidize. They need to generate sufficient margin, and the only way to do that is via cross-subsidization. Uh, I think the business true. model is fundamentally different. Uh, you can make margin, but if your cost income is entirely different, your margin requirement is is yeah. lowered, right? So if, if my cost of acquisition is lower, my cost to serve is lower, then I need a lot less customers to be profitable, and I can have yeah. more profit. But, I mean, customer. Megan's and been to my bank. I mean, Megan, did you feel like we were like cross-selling you and trying to like take advantage of you? No, I feel no but I feel like right it's about now. building community and, and making sure that you're a good advocate for it as well as having profitability, not being a love of money and love of profit, but being the love of the things that be able to the able to do because of those two things. Absolutely. If banks had the motive that were a little bit different, I think that deserves a round of applause. <laughs> if if it's about that long-term sustainability, then I'm all for it. But I think we have seen challenges do that in Europe first. All right. That's it. Okay. So, um, come on, uh, let's have some more, more yelling and screaming and cheering from you guys out there. So, who thinks that the Team USA won that debate? <laughs> All right. Okay, we're back in the game. Uh, what about over here? Who thinks Team Rest of the World won that debate? Uh, oh, I am looking at producer Laura because I can't call that. Do it again. All right. I need louder. More louder. Okay. So USA. Rest of the world. Can I give them a point each? No, we're going US. Okay. We're going US. So can I say something real quick for someone who's gone to every conference across the globe? Isn't it fun to have people actually argue and talk over each other on a panel for once? Oh, I got a thumbs up. Hey, All right. How about a shout out just for this format? We should do this more often. All right, let's 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 get into the final round. We are we are two one. This is where you need to pull things back, USA. Um, Jill, you are up first. Please stand up. Ready, steady, 
Go. All right, so I have the easiest topic. We're going right at the end because this is what we do in the USA better than anyone else. And it's a great model for everyone else, the, the customer experience piece. Um, our, when you look around the US, it's just like looking at this crowd. The diversity that we have in our banking system is you can't find anywhere else in the world. Thousands of bankers like me. I have 50 employees, one location in a suburban um, urban environment in the middle of Oklahoma, and I'm standing on the stage with Starling Bank. That's what the, that's what the USA is about, is this di the diversity, is the immigrants coming in. It's just a great innovation and collaboration, the way that we're able to look at our communities and say, this is what our community needs, and so let's innovate it, and let's create that, that fix. Let's create that opportunity. Let's create that, that, that product and that service. It is not about if we were just about profitability and taking advantage of our customers, we wouldn't be around for hundreds and hundreds of years. A little bitty bank like mine, we would have been gobbled up by some big bank that can do that more efficiently and better. There are banks out there, Live Oak Bank, that, that is this tiny bank that does more SBA lending than any other bank in the United States. You have USAA, in which I'm a member of, that I can do everything I can do at any other digital bank, probably better anywhere else in the world at that, at that institution. There's other little community banks like mine that are innovating like crazy throughout the space, and they're doing it because they're based upon what customers need, not because that's just a fancy thing the way they want to innovate or an Done. idea that they Stop. had. Um, I'm sorry. Well, I, what I should have told you um, is that Jill and Derek are pitching us on um, where the best digital banking user experiences come from and how to bring them about. So that was my fault. Um, Derek, please get ready, steady, go. User experience. Three things, and all due respect, but the USA clearly leading in this space is, I think, a stretch of the English language. The first off is, in user experience, it all comes down to human-centered de design. And I'll give you a very tangible example of if the US is leading in this space, then why did Forrester, for two years in a row, identify the BBVA mobile banking application as the best in the world? And identify the number two best in the world is our business in Turkey guarantee. So the top two businesses identified both on user experience and on functionality identified by an impartial third party. It all comes down to having focus on what is it that the human wants to do. Whether that human is as someone sitting in a client business, an enterprise client, or whether it's someone managing their own money and designing experiences around what they want to do. The second is as making it DIYable. Measuring the reasons why a human would leave their home and their armchair or their office and walk into a physical branch. And is that measured in the United States by financial institutions? I would suggest not. Within BBVA, we know that the top 100 reasons, 94% of what they want to do, they can do on their mobile, bank, mobile banking app. And the third thing is related to data. There is no other place on the planet like in Asia where you can do, integrate the first two things into truly data-enabled interactions Stop. at scale. Stop. Hey, All isn't right. it funny? All right, whoa, whoa, whoa. Isn't whoa. it, what? Be, wait, wait, I've got to press oh, the button. Yeah. You can't rebut it yet. Yeah, I'm moving, Sarah. Let's Come go. on. Okay, ready, steady, go. Isn't it funny that the team that argued against paying expensive consultants had to rely on a forester study to, to explain why they won. And the answer to your question is why they ranked you. That's because you probably paid them a lot of money to rank you number one. There was no need to rely on them. It is simply a way of highlighting the... Uh, is the anybody power. from Forrester in the crowd? <laughs> But is user experience? Well, of you now. But is user experience just a mobile app? 
I mean, I, that's not, we, were, we weren't just limited to what our best mobile app is because, I mean, that's great that BBVA has the best one, but we're talking about the user experience. It um, isn't just that, no. It's okay. the, the average person visits a bank branch 10 times a year. But I get it. The average person visits a mobile app 300 times a year. I'm not saying that they visit the a branch. Person I'm saying that the person that they can hold accountable. I get tweets in the middle of night on Saturday tell me that I need this or I need that, and I'm accountable for that. And that's what you have thousands of Jills out there in the U.S. providing the same level of support to their customers. And I think this is a misunderstanding of what mobile banking is, because the idea that mobile banking means there's no human accountability is doing it wrong. Having a human, we talk about, uh, at 11FS, we talk about being digitally rich. Yes, real-time. Yes, intelligent. Yes, contextual, but human. It must be human. The human must be in the middle of it. The human must be accessible. And the bank itself must be putting forward a human face, whether that's through a mobile app or somewhere else. They need to be accessible. They need to be live. They need to be and, right now. And, and that needs no to one not be can a compete with chapel. the U.S. on that. No one can compete with it. To digitize trust, to be able to say that this is the person accountable and I can get to them, is really a stretch whenever you're just focusing on a mobile strategy. Oh, I'm really sorry about that, but come on. <laughs> 480 million Chinese, uh, 700 million Chinese depend on Alipay every single day. 480 million Chinese now have a credit record because of Alipay. When it comes to trust, it all depends on how you define trust and who you trust. As an American, you may trust your bank. But if I'm a Chinese or I'm in Hong Kong, I trust Alipay. I trust Tenpay. Why? Because they were the first to come up with an escrow service that solved the problem of trust for how we do business over there. How many people in this room use Amazon on a regular basis? American company, by the way, in case you didn't so know So for that. listeners, that's nearly everybody's hand. Just saying. How many people use Spotify? About half the room. Europe. So these, these people that have services that are digital, that they trust with their music, with their purchases, with their everyday goods. I think you can build a human experience without relying on a physical presence. That doesn't mean there should be no physical presence. That means it should be used to its absolute best. I completely agree, but it, it, I'm not saying digital is bad. Digital has to be part of the strategy, but I'm saying in the U.S. we have that additional layer that we have the, the, the diversity, the human onside in the community, thousands across across the US that is so unique to us that's able to not only serve the customer, but be able to be, have a pulse on what they need. How many, how many branches do you have, Jill? I have one. How many did you close when you became the president of the bank? So I closed all but one, so I closed five of them. So you're not this person that says, I have to have all these branches all over the place in order to engage with my customer no, base. No, not at all. Who you see every day. Yeah, but my customers, they have co-working space inside my bank. So they how do you unlock the power of the humans? What is the competitive advantage of a human in the machine age? Jill's their secret weapon. If you don't know about Jill Castillo, I'll send you a couple. No, it's that and accountability, and it's that grocery store aisle of being accountable to and knowing what your your community needs whenever it faces hardships. Summit Bank, um, they just were um, destroyed. I mean, by the the hurricane that happened, and Bancor South came in and took over all their operations put up Summit Bank so that they could serve their customers. You don't see that anywhere else in the world because of just the diversity of the community banks we have, the banking system that we have. I think that's a bit of a stretch to say that 
other banks around the world that have physical presence don't also take care of their customers. And if I didn't say that, I said, but do you have thousands you, you, of banks that independently We have eight thousand. We have eight thousand branches around the world. Independently where we serve owned our customers. banks. That's different. Indep having bran branches of a few banks. I would suggest it's thousands. less about how the bank is owned and about the service that is provided at a local level for it's the about, individuals in the communities. I would That's agree. What with really that. matters. Ownership doesn't really matter. It's about it's about understanding matters. the human. It's about understanding matters. the human needs and I'm not of the saying individuals you don't have it. It and addressing those I'm not saying you don't have it. I'm saying we have it more here. I would say I, that, so user experience is one of the most critical elements of banking because banking is fundamental. Everyone needs their account. They get it to get their payments, to pay their friends. But today it's really very bad. So if you just look at the account opening process, you have to go into a branch location, fill out lots of documents. It's slow. For most banks. So when with the idea of digital disruption, the fact is now on Starling, you can open an account within less than three minutes on your phone. Take a video of yourself, take a picture of your passport, it's easy. If I wanted to send you a payment, I could find you with nearby tech, just tap your face and send you a payment. The reason why Venmo is so successful in the US is that's a fundamental thing people need to do is just pay people back. But it's currently really very hard. But I think that type of user experience is what digital banks in the UK and EU are really nailing quite well. And that's why I'm talking about human experience. onboarding problem is true in the U.S. and abroad. And, so, and there are digital banks that can onboard users in real time in the U.S. and abroad. I think it's just the fact that in complex onboarding scenarios where you're dealing with multiple individuals and complex ownership and documentation, there's just a lot of KYC that all institutions have to have. Uh, Melissa was telling me about her trying to open a bank account in Singapore, of all places, uh, with uh, documentation from uh, the central bank there and how it would take six weeks. I, I, I believe KYC is a global problem that's got to get solved every single place. But that doesn't mean you need customer stop, service. Stop, stop, enough. All right. So audience, uh, lovely audience, who do you think won that debate on user experience? Do we think it was Team USA? Or do we think it was Team ROW? That would be ROW. So that wraps up the effing debate. Um, so what does the digital bank of the future look like? Well, we're going to build it in the rest of the world. We're going to get our data from the rest of the world. We're going to regulate it in the US. But... <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, this is, what, this is apparently what's, what's going to happen. I mean, you heard it here first. And finally, um, our user experience will be led by the rest of the world. Therefore, the winning team are ROW. Congratulations for Team ROW. Um, and commiserations to Team USA. Uh, enjoy your time in Vegas, by the way, Team uh, Arado. Hey, listen, we want to thank all of our guests. Um, we've, we've got to start with the winning team. Will uh, the audience please, please thank uh, the one and only uh, Melissa Guzzi from Arbor Ventures. <laughs> Derek freaking White from BBVA. <laughs> And, of course, the unbelievable Megan Kaywood from Starring Bank. And likewise, we get a round of applause for Team USA. We have Ron. I'm a very angry man. Shevlin from Cornerstone Advisors. Dan Kimmerling. I'm a genius from Desian's Capital. He really is, by the way. He's in Mensa. And then Jill Castilla from Citizens Bank of Edmond, the best small bank in the country. 
And of course, thank you to Money 2020 for putting up the uh, F and debate and agreeing to call it the F and debate. I mean, Andrew Morris, wherever you are, thank you. Really <laughs> appreciate that. Uh, and thank you to BBVA for sponsoring this stage. Really appreciate that as well. And, and we always want to give a shout out to our media team. So Michael, Simone, Laura, Bianca, Sarah, Timmy, wherever you are, they're incredible. They're some of the best in the business. Thank you very much. See you later and goodbye. <laughs>